Heather Church family, it's good to be with you today for our sermon recap. We try to do each and every week. Uh, we have finished with First Timothy. We're all done with that. And so now what we're doing is we're trying to take some time. We do this pretty much every summer where we take a month or so and go through some of the some of the Psalms because we have a lot of people in and out with vacations and different things. So uh, it's kind of tougher to do a, a series and let everybody keep track. So that's why we try to go to go to some of the Psalms. And so this week we looked at Psalm 145 uh, together. Psalm 145, a little bit longer uh, of a Psalm. I didn't mention it in the message or anything. This is uh, David's last Psalm, but it's also, um, what, is, what is the word? It's, uh, I better meet you guys. Uh, it goes by the alphabet. It's an acrostic. Yeah, there you go. I, just, I only know that because I just read the note in my Bible <laughs> <Yeah>. right there. <laughs> You're on it, Scott. You're on it. Yeah. But like, it was... And like the King James and stuff, it's missing the the N, the none. Mm. Um, but from what I gathered in my studies, like the ESV in verse 13 has a parentheses thing, and that is the none. And they said that they have found that in more recent discoveries uh, since the King James Version has been out. So uh, it was it was in those, like the Dead Sea Scrolls or something, mm. to some of the different ones. So cool. So more recent discoveries of older texts. Yes, yeah, yes. of the of original manuscripts and stuff. Yep, yep. And so that's why, if you have like a King James version, you wouldn't see that that mm. portion in verse thirteen. Yeah, I didn't mention it yesterday, but uh, so that's what we that's what we have here. Uh, we have a. Some even say that um, this may have been the last psalm uh, in earlier texts. Uh, but that it does set up well for the last few psalms, which are psalms of, of praise. They're all pretty short, uh, and psalms of praise, and this is David ushering ushering that in. And so in Psalm uh, 145, that is what we have. We have a psalm of praise, of adoration to God, and you have King David uh, recognizing God as, as king, and praising him, and in the first three verses, it's interesting that David makes it very personal because he says, I will, uh, numerous times, says, I will extol you. I will uh, bless you as well. So we see this, um, we see David purposefully showing his need to praise God, even as, even as the king uh, of Israel. And he praises God here. He says, my God and King, again, he, he says God is his, his King. Bless your name forever. But when we get down to verse 3, he says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable. Uh, how do we try to talk about that a little bit in the message, but this idea of God has revealed himself to us in his word, but we, there definitely still is mystery there. So how do we how do we talk about that to our people, but also to um, people who are not Christians, maybe who are curious about the Bible, to say, well, there is stuff we know about God, but there's a lot maybe that we don't fully understand or grasp. And so how do we how do we balance that, I guess, well, and how do we talk about that of saying, I'm sure that God is real, but then saying, but there is mystery, because it seems like someone could come back and be like, well, then how can you be sure, right? What do you guys think? Anything? I remember it was several years ago. There was a foreign exchange student that had come to uh, be at my high school, and uh, well, the, I think I had graduated by this point, but I was still helping uh, in the youth ministry at my church at the time. And he was from Germany. His name was Tom, 
And, you know, he had been going to our church because the family he was staying with were members at our church. And he just had so many questions, question after question after question. He was wanting to genuinely wanting to know the answers. And, you know, just if you pressed him, if he wanted to, you know, like you could see the seeds of faith there. And he said he wanted to believe, but he still just had questions. And it, I remember a conversation that I had to have with him at one point was just, Tom, you're never going to have all of your questions answered. There's always going to be more questions. And if you wait until every until you know everything, you're going to be dead. Uh, because there's always going to be mysteries mm-hmm. when it comes to the Lord. And so you're just going to have to be okay with not having every single question answered right now. And that's just kind of what I thought of in terms of God being unsearchable. Sure. That there's always going to be mystery. He's revealed everything that we need to know for our salvation and that we have that in his word. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the glory of God is that we can still look at his word, what he has revealed, and we still know that we have questions about it and that we don't know all the answers. Um, we still wonder when we look at creation and awe of how he did this. Um, and it, it all points to his glory, the fact that he is so much higher than we are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what I think David's getting at is how here greatness is unsearchable. Uh, and we can we can debate greatness when it comes to humans and when it comes to different aspects of the of our of our lives, right? Of who's who's the greatest football player ever or who's who's the greatest uh, singer ever, right? There's 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 categories that you can look at to determine that. So like in sports it would be well how many how many championships have they won? Okay. You know, how many individual uh, MVPs have they won? Or and you can you can go to this, you know, how many how many points did they score? How many or whatever. Records have they broke? Yeah, you can look at these different things and and then then you compare people and there's still even debate with that kind of stuff. You know, you can still uh, talk about that, but there's like tangible ways to look at that. But I think what David is saying here, it's like what with God, there's not there's no real tangible way for us to say how great He really is because it's just so different than different than us. And my mind goes to holiness because that's something I just don't think we can fathom because we are just so stained with sin and we struggle with sin that every aspect of our life, it seems like every decision we make, that stain of sin is there. Mm-hmm. And it's just impossible to have a pure thought or pure motives. You know, you want to, and you desire to, uh, but we just struggle with that. And God doesn't have that. And so this greatness of his is hard for us even to imagine. Mm. Uh, but when we think about that, there is good news. And that's why I wanted to kind of tuck that in there in the message of, but he did make himself known to us. God didn't have to do that, but he did. He made himself known to us uh, through his word. And he has given us what we need to have. Uh, this is what he has chosen to give us. And and it is good. And then he's, re- and then with Jesus as well, right? We, mm-hmm. we have Christ as well. And so this good God whose greatness is unsearchable has made himself known to us. And, and what we do know even is worthy of praise and worship. And so we as individuals need to be, be, uh, be like David the best that we can to worship him and to recognize that we, we need to worship him. If, if the king needs to worship this God, so do, so do we. And so on that individual idea of worship is, is important for us. Um, David goes on and 
verses four through seven, and he kind of starts including us into the praise because he talks about generations and how generations are going to talk about the works of God and the mighty acts of God. And um, I guess I can read it. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Now, in this section, no doubt there is an aspect, I think, that harkens back to uh, like Deuteronomy and stuff of the people of God making sure to tell their children and their children's children what God has done, right? And so the good things that God has done. And I think that should be continuing for us today. I don't think it happens enough, honestly. I, I know I'm not good at this, but I don't, maybe you guys are, to talk about the good things that God has done for your family personally or even uh, generationally. I, I can only go back, I don't know, to like a great grandparent and then I'm, I'm lost. I don't even know really much about my family. After I don't, I don't know if you guys can go much farther than that with yours, you know, but when you think about Israel, and the stuff that they were talking about generations and generations and reflecting on God's goodness and what he had done for them. And um, I think that's a good thing for us to do as individuals, but as families, but also as a church family is where we can look back and see um, the uh, specific good things that God has done in our, our uh, church or in, in your family, particularly. Well, one of the things that Israel had kind of baked into their calendar were uh, festivals mm-hmm. and events where it was a community event in a family, a household thing that you would do together, whether it was building a booth and sleeping outside in that booth, or it was having the Passover meal together. And when when they were given instructions of of how to do that meal, it was predicted that their sons would ask, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And they were told, well, well, that's when you tell your son or your daughter that we're doing this because of the way the Lord saved us by a mighty hand out of the land of Egypt. So they had things baked into their, their culture where it would be observable to their children and it would be observable to their grandchildren that like, we do this every year. Why are we doing this? What's the purpose behind this? And so, the easiest way for us to do that is to have a regular flow and a regular rhythm, which we do have that. I mean, we have Christmas, we have Easter, and we just have to find ways to be intentional with pointing our families to why we do that. I mean, we always joke about that and say, what's the reason for the season or whatever. But using those natural breaks in the calendar is the be- is the best way to make sure that that happens, I think. Yeah, and I think it's important for us as a church family to be doing that faithfully, mm-hmm. right? Um, because that's what's happening here with Israel. They're talking about the people of God and what God has done for them. And so now for us, it's this is what he has done for us as the, as the people of, of God. And so we have that in broad terms of the whole church mm-hmm. together. But then we also have it in a more specific terms of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, of what we could say our our family here of what God has done. And there's stories that can be passed down of God's faithfulness, you know, and, and times of great hurt, but then God getting us through that hurt or whatever it might be. And uh, it's good for everybody to know that because you can, you can start taking advantage of, of what you have here at the church, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the building or with uh, 80 some years of, of ministry and not realize, uh, how God had used a lot of people sacrificially, 
you know, investing their time, their money, whatever it might be. You know, there's stories of people moving just to be by this church, to be a part of the ministry, not to be on staff or anything like that, to be a member, to come into and to serve and to care and outreaches in the community and how God has saved, you know, hundreds and hundreds over the over that span of years. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> but that's God doing that good stuff. And and so we we don't want to take that for granted and we want the future generations to know that because it's a good thing. And it's like let's keep let's keep this going because this is what we think God uh, would have for us and want for us. But then on top of that, I mentioned this aspect more in the in the message is when we think about the goodness and the greatness of God, we and I know this sounds like a cookie cutter answer or Sunday school answer, but it's not one that we can get past is the fact that God has provided salvation for us through his son, Jesus. This is the wondrous work. This is the mighty deed. Just like I think about Israel and the big story had to have been a lot of times Egypt and the Red Sea, mm-hmm. like that was a big deal, right? Uh, for us, it's that's our story too, mm-hmm. Egypt, the Red Sea. But all of that was pointing to a bigger story, uh, the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's who we look to, the one ha- who has completed everything for us. And and so we must be faithful to keep speaking of that mm-hmm. day in and day out and not letting that go to the wayside um, because that's what's, uh, that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's, and that's, I think how we, that's what we need to keep passing down, uh, generationally. And, and I think just real quick, uh, yeah. you know, David mentioned on your, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. And I think that we've, we've lost that in, in many ways, or we've, we have different ideas of meditation because it's been kind of skewed because of Eastern yeah. religions, you know, like, you know, meditate, you know, and let, empty your mind and all that stuff. But the biblical idea is, is really, um, very important because it, it, the idea is it, you bring it to your mind and you kind of turn it over and over in your mind so you remember, oh, yeah, God did this. Oh, I, I remember when we were, you mentioned this, like, you know, uh, in your sermon, like, you know, like, yes, salvation, but also like, oh, yeah, God healed this person of cancer or God did this in my family. God saved my grandfather who then passed it on to his kids or whatever. And I think the more we, we re- re- recall those stories— you know, some people write them down in the journal. They, you know, mm-hmm. this this happened. God really, you know, answered my prayer here. That helps us and reminds us, like what David's saying, that we would bring to our mind and, and remember, meditate on his wonders and his splendor. And I think that's important because we can just easily, like you said, easily take it for granted and say, oh, yeah, you know, and just kind of go through the motions. And, and then we can start kind of looking at things that are not really important and getting caught up in things that are like, you know, complaining about this and forgetting how faithful God's been. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's right. And David, from there, he goes on to verses 8 and 9, which is probably the most popular verses of the, of this psalm, uh, where he says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Uh, we see the grace of God here in David praising the Lord uh, for his grace uh, and his mercy, how he is slow to anger, abounding in this steadfast love, this even... I'm sure in David's mind there's a covenantal love aspect uh, that is there. But he goes on to say that his mercy is over all that he has made. David speaks about all of creation here. Everything is receiving God's mercy. And that is just so uh, that is just so true. And I, I might have got hung up on this point a little bit longer than I wanted to, I think, in the message. But just 
we, the people of God, who've been given the grace of God, too often do not share that grace of God with the world around us. And I don't just mean that in evangelism and telling them the gospel. I just mean in patience and kindness and gentleness and in mercy. We, we struggle with that. Uh, and it comes across as prideful, as arrogant, and as pompous. Mm-hmm. And Jesus never had that. You know, we don't, we don't see that in the life of Jesus. We see that with him maybe at a time with religious leaders when he's upset in the temple. That was such a small part of his life, but I think a lot of people like to go to that and make that their whole life. <laughs> it's like, this is what I do. Yeah. Um, but if God in his grace and his mercy continues to let sinners live, he continues to let them eat, right? He continues to provide for them and to give them good things. Who then are we as God's people to not be doing the same, right? To to be kind in our community and compassionate to our neighbor who might be hurting, even though they don't love God and they don't care about God, but that doesn't mean we can't still be kind to them. And, and yes, I'm not saying we never evangelize. I think, yeah, we want to have those opportunities uh, when they come. And I think they come more when we are displaying those characteristics that Jesus showed in his life and that we see here in verses 8 and 9. Of, of patience and of love and of kindness and mercy uh, toward people. Uh, anyways, I, I got on a little soapbox, I think, on Sunday, so I don't necessarily want to hash it over again unless you guys have something with that. No, I, mean, I was just going to say, I mean, it's it, it would be definitely hard to try to have an evangelistic conversation with a neighbor that you were rude to last week. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you if you know that you're going to be seen as a hypocrite, you're a lot less likely yeah. <laughs> to actually try to have that conversation. I know. I just think of people like, uh, and I, I maybe maybe these people are in the church, and maybe I've had conversations with people. I'm not recalling any, so I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. Uh-huh. But you know, that guy who's like, "Did you just mow my grass six inches into my lawn?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you try to tell your neighbor, well, God loves you, you know, and it's yeah, like, yeah. what? You just complained about six inches of your grass, yeah. you know, like who cares? Yeah. Or just, just those little things that happens yeah. between neighbors, you know, sticks, falls, limb, fences, uh, all that kind of stuff. And if we're going to be jerks about it all the time, uh, man, I, even if they're mean to us, you know, and we're like, well, this is justified. They're mean to us. It's like, uh, I don't, I don't know because uh, God continues to love them and they're uh, really rebellious against God. Mm-hmm. And so who are we? Yeah. You know, like your illustration about the interview with, that, with an actor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that was Later. really good because so often it's like, Oh, you know, Oh, I can't believe it. You know, he, you know, this, he, he just has that view and he's an atheist and you know, he deserves God's wrath, you know, and what you do talk about, you it, know, yeah, it gets at the end. Yeah. yeah. It but, but it's like, we're so quick to, to judge. We're so quick to look at, you know, whether it's someone in, in Hollywood or it's a, a politician, you know, someone that's very liberal or someone in the LGBT community and being like, oh, but yet God has, they're still alive and they're still breathing <laughs> and they're still, God has still given them a chance to repent, you know? And I thought your, your story with Jonah and Nineveh was right on because it's like, I knew you'd do this, <laughs> you know? And I think sometimes we get that self-righteous attitude, like the Pharisees, you know, it's like, you know, oh, she was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus said, oh, who, you know, who of you? has never sinned, cast the first stone, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really good point, just to remind ourselves, yeah, you know what? God is slow to anger. He yeah. is slow. And, these, and, and people that are in rebellion right now, he's still giving a chance, and we should 
pray and also understand that. So yeah, it was really good. good point. Yeah. And this is what leads to praise, right? I mean, this is why we're, this is why David is praising him. He's saying, you're a God of grace and of kindness and of, and of mercy and of steadfast love. And in verse seven, he even says, we should sing aloud of your righteousness. This is what we sing about. And uh, this is what we praise you for. And uh, these are things that should make us happy. These, these are the, these are the good news things that draws people in, you know, when you talk about God of, of grace and love and hope. And now don't get me wrong. There are people who have taken that message and they have abused it to, um, to say things like God accepts you just as, as you, but in a way of making it sound like your sin's not that important. Mm -hmm. Your sin's not that big of a deal. Um, so it can be abused. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Um, but we can also go the other route to where it seems like, man, God's just mad all the time at everybody. And it's like, that's not actually the picture we have. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a God who loves. And so I think instead of looking in our mind and saying, you know, when God sees where everybody is, where the whole world is right now, he just must be so upset. Because I think that's what a lot of Christians would say. Yeah, I think so. I think what we should say is when God looks down on his creation, he still sees it as good and he still loves everybody. And he's still providing and he's still caring and he still has a plan that is working. And he has a people, which is what David gets to. He starts talking about God's kingdom, glorious kingdom in verses 10 to 13. He has a people that will last forever and that will be forever. And now what's amazing, and that's not really a part of the psalm, but God uses this people to be able to share his love with the world and even more specifically at least with each other, mm-hmm. you know, in the kingdom. Uh, so often in the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, it talks about being kind, it talks about being compassionate, it talks about love, and mostly it's not about the people outside of the church. It's talking about people within the church, within the community, within the kingdom, of how we are to care for each other and to and to love each other. Uh, and sadly, we don't even do that too well uh, all the time. We allow pride and arrogance and frustration whatever it might be to get in, to get in the way, but Mm -hmm. we are the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and we have the privilege of living during these times and we have the privilege of serving him and honoring him and, and doing our best to do that. And we're not going to be perfect in it, but we have the privilege of raising kids and telling them about Jesus, right? We have the, we have the privilege of being able to uh, meet our neighbors, our people at school or whatever it might be and be light in a dark world. And hope that they see a difference in us, that our hope doesn't come from what this world has to offer, but our hope comes from what Christ has done for us. And so we pray that we get that opportunity. And forever, God has given his people that opportunity uh, to share that. And God has worked through that. And he continues to do that. And we want to be faithful uh, to that. As we continue down, kind of getting to verses, uh, the end of verse 13, says the Lord's faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. That's that section that's not in the King James probably. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Again, we're seeing his hand over all creation, caring for and providing for and loving. Uh, But then we get to verse 18. Or 17, well, I already read 17, but in verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And so we see at the end, David kind of abolishes universalism. And he says something interesting, to all who call on him in truth. 
And that's an interesting little section because in the New Testament, Jesus says he is the truth and declares himself to be the truth. And, and so we know that it is only through Christ that we can experience the Lord's blessing, that we can see the desires of our heart fulfilled, which then kind of goes into the message at night and, and Sunday evening. Now there wasn't many here, but just making sure our dreams, our aspirations, our desires are what God would have, you know, not just our own, but what God really would have and want uh, for us. But um, we see God's justice, his perfect justice here, um, that uh, the wicked will be turned away. Those who have not put their faith in Christ, who have not trusted in him, they will be turned away. Uh, But those who, because of God's grace and then faith and trust in him, that's not the case that he loves them and will be with them forever. And so then quickly here, David ends the psalm in verse 21 by like a quick little burst of praise. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And as I said, I think this is a good thing to think about. I, I know I struggle with that uh, praise in general, not just praise to God, but praise of anything and of anyone. I just, uh, I don't know, just doesn't even come to my mind most of the time, but I don't mean that as an excuse. It's just the truth. And uh, we as Christians, I think, need to be quick to praise God, to thank God. I've definitely seen it done in a hokey way. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But even that hokey way is better than not doing it at all, you know. Uh, But not being shy to give God credit where credit is due for your life, for your family. And when you're talking with other people um, to say, this is is our God and he's very kind to us. Mm -hmm. You know, he loves us and. Uh, for those people who are like glass half empty people, which I, I know a lot of people are <clears throat> just because we can say we're a glass half empty people. I don't think means, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry that we have the right to stay that way. <laughs> Cause I think as Christians, we shouldn't be that way because the Bible says we are actually overflowing. Our cup is overflowing and, and we need to view our world that way. And I know for me, that is something I have to purposefully do all the time because I can think about the bad things. I can think about the hard things and I can let that, impact the way I think or talk to people or whatever, mm. instead of trying to, for me, it's like, take a step back. Let's take a higher view of what's going on here. Mm. You know, things are okay. My life is good. And, and God has been very gracious and kind to me. And then when you step back even farther and you see, how he's, well, he's saved me. He's given me Christ. I don't have anything to complain about. Mm. Right. And I need to be praising him. I need to be thankful and joyful. And I need to let others see that. And again, I know that that can be weighty. I know that can feel like, man, I'm just failing as a Christian. I don't mean it that way because Christ has fulfilled all this for us. So uh, God doesn't see Tim as a glass half empty person. No, he sees me full of Christ and I'm in him completely. Um, and so I know that and I rest in that and I have pro- I have that promise. Uh, but still, I, I want to praise him because he's worthy of that. And so there are times that you can get better you know, at those sort of, sort of things. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, just on that note, when we were in Chicago, especially in Dearborn, working in a context of Arabic speakers who most of them were Muslim. And if you're around that context, you'll hear a lot of, you know, they'll say this word, alhamdulillah, which is means basically give God, give God praise or give, you know, give, yeah, honor God or whatever. And they say it all the time. And I remember just thinking, I asked one of my friends one time, I said, why do you guys say that so much? He said, well, because in everything we do, we're taught that 
to praise God, no matter if it's good or bad. And I just thought that was really interesting and, and somewhat convicting because, you know, it, like you said, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to kind of forget how important it is for, I mean, let, let, the, let, the, our, let his praise be continually on our lips, right, as it also says in Psalms. And uh, that was convicting. Here's, here's a group of people that are not following the truth. <laughs> they're seeking a false God, mm-hmm. and yet they're so quick to give praise. They're so quick to say, inshallah, which is God's will, or alhamdulillah, you know, praise God. So that was really convicting to me, working with a group that's not even following Christ, um, just to remind me how important it is for my mouth to be filled with praise, and just to thank God. You know, just thank you, Lord, that you got me up this morning. Thank you. I try to I try to do that every morning. You know, I, I remind myself of Lamentations 3, that his compassions fail not, you know, new, his mercies new every morning, great is thy faithfulness, you know, that I woke up today. It's an act of God's grace. I didn't have to, but he would, he allowed it, you know, and just keeping that, keeping that in our hearts and minds. And so when I, when I worked with, in that context, I was like, kind of pretty convicting actually, like, hmm, I need a person of truth. I need to be following the Lord <laughs> yeah. by giving praise to him continually. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, I don't have anything else. Do you guys? No? All right, I'd love to tell you what psalm we're in next week, but I don't know. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully I will know uh, soon. I do know that we have Lord's Supper, though, this coming week, so we look forward to observing that together. So hopefully you'll be here for Lord's Supper. Uh, We look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday. Uh, But until then, we hope that you have a, a great week. God bless.